0: Do you have any places that you would just love to go? I'm thinking like dream vacations. For me, I have three in particular that I would love to visit. I would love to go to Ireland, to Scotland, and to New Zealand. I'd like to go to Ireland because my mom's family is Irish. In fact, there is a, a Doolin, Ireland, where our family comes from. I would like to go to Scotland because the Rosses are Scottish. They're a Scottish Highlander clan. And I want to go to New Zealand because that's where they film Lord of the Rings and who doesn't want to visit Middle Earth? Uh, At the same time, there are places that I'd rather not go. Now, some of these places aren't necessarily bad places. They're just places I would have no desire to visit. Places like a Justin Bieber concert, Hell, Michigan, Texas. I mean, places like that that I never really want to go to in my life. And I'm sure you have your own places. That you'd like to go in places that you don't want to go. In our message today, we're going to visit a place that I'm sure we'd all rather not go. It's not a place of joy and peace. It's not a place of comfort. It is a place instead of anguish and suffering. It's the site of the greatest spiritual battle the world has ever known. It's a place called Gethsemane. And in this place, it's where our Savior wrestled in prayer before His betrayal and before His crucifixion. In Gethsemane, we see the humanity of Jesus more than we do anywhere else in Scripture. In Gethsemane, we see Him struggle with the Father's will and the coming suffering that He would face. And as we look at what happened to Jesus in Gethsemane, we, we quickly realize that it's a place that we have all either visited or will visit in our lives. Now, our suffering, it won't be the same as Jesus' is suffering. His suffering was uniquely his because of the mission he came to accomplish. That doesn't mean that we can't learn from his suffering in Gethsemane. For truly, in many ways, all suffering is unique to the sufferer. A tragedy in one family can affect each family member in a different way. They all experience the same tragedy, but they suffer in their own unique individual ways. The one constant is that they will, in that time of suffering, visit a place called Gethsemane. What we learn in Gethsemane will help us in our lives. It will help us in our suffering, because suffering is a part of living. It will help us in our prayers, because prayer is what we should do as we suffer. It will help us in our relationship with Jesus, because suffering challenges our relationship with Jesus. Is he still good when things in my life are bad? And it will help us to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. For suffering tempts us to give up and to let go. How does Gethsemane do all of this? Well, let's find out. Open your Bible to Matthew 26. We're going to start reading in verse 36 and we'll read through verse 46. It should be on page 757 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm asking to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed. And he said, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, "O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done." And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, so he left, and he went away again and he prayed the third time saying the same words. And when he came to his disciples, he said to them, "Are you still sleeping?" And resting, behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed in the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. title of the message is A Place Called Gethsemane. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and You are worthy of our devotion. And we come this morning and we bow in Your presence and we surrender this Well, we surrender all of our lives to You, but in particular, we surrender this time. This time that we're in Your Word. This time that we're going to learn from Jesus. This time that we want to hear from You, that we need to hear from You, Lord. Father, this life is filled with ups and downs. There are times that are amazing and wonderful. So filled with joy and good things. And then there are the lows. There are times that are miserable, times that are hard, times where we suffer greatly. Father, thriving in the up times is easy enough to do. But thriving in the valleys, in the darkness, in the suffering. We need you and we need your help. And we don't find that unless we we deal with our Gethsemane in the right way. Father, today as we take time in this message and we look at this this part of the life of Jesus, let us learn what we need to learn. Father, there may well be those here today that are, right now, they are in this moment. They are suffering and they are wrestling with Your will. And they need this. And Lord, I know that there is an enemy that seeks to steal the good seed. And would prevent them from hearing and receiving. And being equipped to deal with the suffering of their life through your word. Father, give him no place in this church today to keep anyone from hearing. Or to cause someone to be spiritually blind to what you're wanting us to see. Father, for those who are not in a moment of suffering now. Let this sink into their hearts and and be something that they would remember for when the time comes. That they would suffer well. And they would suffer in a way that would honor and glorify you. And would come through on the other time with a faith that was very, very strong. and, And how good and how marvelous their God is. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you once said. Have your way in all that happens, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is what we might call a holy awe or an intense reverence that we should feel when we come to this passage. When we read about Jesus, our Savior, in in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, there should almost be a sense in which we feel we should take off our shoes for we're standing on holy ground. This isn't a, a light or a happy passage, but neither is it a dark or depressing passage, but it is a solemn and a reverent passage. In this passage, we're peering into one of the most intimate moments of Jesus' life. And if I can use this wording, In Gethsemane, we see Jesus at His most vulnerable. What we can learn in Jesus' time in Gethsemane will prepare us for our Gethsemane. This is a weighty passage, and there's a lot that we can learn. What I want to do today is I want to point out three characteristics of Gethsemane, and then give us one overarching principle that will help us In our lives when we visit there. The first is that Gethsemane is a place of suffering. Gethsemane is a place of suffering. In this passage we see Jesus experiencing the worst sorrow. And the worst suffering he has ever known. Jesus knows full well what is coming. He knows one of his disciples is about to betray him. He knows all of His disciples are about to abandon Him. He knows one of His disciples is about to deny He even knows Him. He knows He is about to face the rejection of the entire nation. He knows He is about to be physically brutalized by Jews and Gentiles alike. He knows He is about to take in God's wrath for our sin. He knows He is about to experience for the first time in eternity separation from his father. Knowing what's coming, Jesus chooses to spend the hours leading up to that moment prayer in prayer to his father. He takes the eleven disciples. Judas has already left to go betray Jesus. There are eleven left. He takes them into the garden to pray. From there, he takes James and John and Peter. He goes further in to the garden and he asks them to pray with him. And then he goes even further and he begins to pray on his own. Now notice what we're told about the sorrow and the suffering of Jesus. In verse 37, it says as he takes away Peter, James and John, he began to to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, those are big words. Here is the, the savior of the world, the son of God, And in this moment, he is filled with sorrow. In this moment, he is deeply distressed. And he asks his disciples, My soul is exceeding with sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. How do you hear his voice as he says these words, knowing the emotions that he's feeling at this time? I hear his voice wavering and breaking as he tells them that he is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. Exceedingly. This is an intense level of suffering. Even to the point of death, the anguish of soul that Jesus feels here is to such an extreme that he feels as though he may die from it all by itself. The Gospel of Luke tells us that in his agony... Jesus prays so intently that sweat comes down like great drops of blood. This could either mean that He prayed so intently that He began to sweat blood, which there is a medical condition, that that happens when a person is under the most severe forms of stress. The wording could also mean that Jesus was under such distress and praying so intently that He began to sweat so much that it's like blood was gushing. Either would be acceptable given the wording because they both demonstrate the extreme levels of stress Jesus was under and the sorrow and the anguish of soul that He feels. After confessing to His closest friends the level of suffering and distress that He feels, He goes up a little bit to pray. And then He comes back and look at what He finds in verse 40. And He comes to the disciples and He found them sleeping. If possible, I believe this increased his suffering. The three men closest to him in the world could not stay awake and pray with him for an hour. But they had fallen asleep. Now I've heard through the years many preachers and teachers criticize the disciples for this. But before we take that that position, let's ask ourselves this question. When was the last time I prayed for an hour? Let's keep in mind where they are. They are in a cool garden, either late at night or early in the morning, and they've been up for a long time. Could we, could we have stayed awake under those circumstances? Could we have tarried and watched an hour with Jesus in prayer? Or would we too have fallen asleep in this moment? I would love to be able to say I could have stayed awake and prayed, but I'm just not sure that would be an accurate statement. What we see in this time is that Jesus is all alone. All of his human supporters have left him. One has agreed to betray him. The others simply cannot stay awake long enough to pray with him as he needs them to at that moment. Jesus would have to fight this battle alone. Have you ever been in a place of suffering and sorrow like this? Have you ever been in a place where the sorrow is so great that it feels like the sorrow itself will kill you? Have you ever been in a place where there was such sorrow in your life that you cry until your eyes hurt and you run out of tears? Have you ever been in a place in your life where there was so much sorrow that it caused physical pain as well as the emotional pain? Have you gone through a moment in your life where you felt utterly alone? There was no one who understood. There was none that seemed to care. And there didn't seem to be anyone that would consistently be able to help you all that you were going through in that moment. Have you ever been in a place like that? This is Gethsemane. It is a place of dreadful suffering. It is a place of bitter sorrow. It is a place of terrible loneliness. Gethsemane will overcome us if we aren't careful. This kind of suffering, this level of agony, this much sorrow can destroy our souls if we try to bear it alone. That's why Jesus went to the Father In prayer, we cannot bear this kind of suffering and sorrow and anguish alone. We must have God's help. This means we must pray. That leads to the next characteristic of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a place of surrender. The prayer Jesus prays in Gethsemane is significant. Jesus sets A tremendous example for us. Though in all honesty, it is a difficult example to follow. After asking his disciples to pray, he goes a little bit further. He falls on his face and he prayed saying, Oh my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What is the cup that Jesus wants to pass from Him? The cup that Jesus refers to as the cup of God's wrath. God, in pouring out His wrath, it is often seen as a cup. Jeremiah 25, it says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, Take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you, To drink it. This picture of a cup of God's wrath. Is seen also in the book of Revelation. Now the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon was remembered before God. To give her. The cup of the wine. The fierceness. Of his wrath. See Jesus as he was about to die. It wasn't just a cross. He was going to face. It wasn't just. The physical and verbal abuse of Romans and Jews alike that He was going to face. Jesus in this moment was going to take the fierceness of God's wrath against our sin in our place. All of the wrath against our sin was going to be poured out. He was going to drink it up, as it were, and take it all upon Himself. It's important for us to remember that on the cross... Jesus bore more than physical suffering. For the punishment for sinning against an infinitely holy God, it is not merely physical death or spiritual death. It is eternal death. Eternal death is to be cast into hell for all of eternity. Revelation calls that the second death. If you've ever read about the horrors of hell, you know it's a terrifying thing to see. And the horrors of hell show us the wrath that Jesus took in our place. It is completely accurate to say Jesus experienced hell on the cross. And to make it personal, on the cross, Jesus experienced the hell that I deserved. And on the cross, Jesus experienced the hell that you deserved. The physical suffering Jesus endured before the cross and on the cross was horrific. It was horrible what Romans did to people they crucified. However, the physical suffering was not all that was going on. And it was not even the worst part of what Jesus was enduring in that day. There was the spiritual suffering of drinking the cup of the fierceness of God's wrath against sin. This Was the worst part of the suffering. This is what Jesus is praying about. Jesus wasn't just saying. Oh let me not go to the cross. And be physically killed. He was asking if there was another way for mankind to be redeemed. Other than for him to have to drink the fierceness of God's wrath. And if there was another way for mankind to be redeemed other than him taking the fierceness of God's wrath in himself, then let it happen that way. And he prays that prayer not just once, but he prays it again in verse 42. Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass for me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he prays it in verse 44. So then he left them and went away again and prayed a third time saying the same words. Repeatedly, Jesus is praying, if it's possible, let this cup, let this suffering pass from me. But that's not the only thing Jesus prayed on this day. After telling the Father what he wanted, Jesus chose to surrender to the Father's will. Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus prays specifically about his desire for the cup to pass. And then he surrenders to the Father's will, even though that will would remain his suffering. Jesus was surrendering to the father's will even when that surrender involved the intense suffering of the cross and of the fierceness of God's wrath. Now take note of the amount of time that Jesus prayed. Verse 40 he goes and he prays. And he says to them, "Could you or In verse 39 he goes and prays. He comes back and says, "Could you not watch for an hour?" Finds the disciples sleeping. Instead of praying, he asked that what must have been a heart-wrenching question. I think what we're meant to see in this is that when Jesus went off to pray, He didn't go off and pray a short prayer. He didn't go off and say, God, take care of this. Amen. He went and He poured His heart out to God for an hour. What we see as, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, as You will. That's the probably the theme of the prayer. But that's not the whole prayer. He prayed for upwards of an hour. After talking to the disciples, He goes away a second time and prays again. And and given the implication, the way that it works, He comes back and finds them asleep again. I think we're meant to see that He prays for another hour. He prays the same way for another hour. Then He goes and He leaves and He prays the same thing a third time. Now again, the implication to me as I see it is that Jesus prayed the same amount of time essentially each time that he went away. So in this short passage, Jesus spends upwards of three hours praying. That's quite an investment of time in prayer. Why did he pray so long? Well, since he prayed the same basic prayer each time, I would conclude that he prayed so long because it took that much time to finally and fully surrender To his father's will. Surrender, he did. There was a full and a final surrender to the will of his father. Gethsemane is a place of surrender. Great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon said that we must notice the conflict as we read this passage. There is a conflict preceding the surrender. Gethsemane will be a place where our will is in conflict with God's will. It will be a place where we are certain of what we want. And we are certain of what we think God should do. The conflict will arise. Can we accept God's will if His will is different than our will? Can we say, God, this is what I really think needs to be done. This is my desire. This, oh God, is the only way I can see things working out right. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Can we pray, nevertheless, not my will, but yours, when a loved one is sick and may not recover? Can we pray, Nevertheless, not My will but Yours be done when we are sick and may not recover. Can we pray, Nevertheless, not My will but Yours be done when sorrow and suffering await us. Can we pray, Not My will but Yours be done No matter what the situation we face is. Therein lies the conflict. That's why prayers in Gethsemane are not over quickly. Full and final surrender doesn't come in a dear Lord take care of this amen type of prayer. Now don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying God doesn't hear short prayers. I'm not saying short prayers are unspiritual. What I am saying is that if we are in Gethsemane, if we are going through Gethsemane, and we are going to pray through in that time, we must pray until we know that we have fully and finally surrendered to the Lord's will, whatever that will may be. And if reaching that level of surrender took Jesus three hours, And three times of prayer. What makes us think we will arrive there quickly? Are we more spiritual than our Lord? Are we more devoted to our Father than our Lord? Are we desiring of His glory more than our Lord? Jesus was sinless, perfect, and no sin nature to fight against His Father's will. And yet it took him three times and three hours to reach full and final surrender. We, on the other hand, we come complete with a sin nature that resists and rejects the rule of God in our lives. And on good days, we resist it. How much more will our flesh fight submission to the rule and the reign of God When suffering and sorrow await us. Winning the conflict of submission to God. It will not come quickly. It will not come easily. But it will come. If we keep praying. We must pray earnestly and fervently. Until we can with all honesty and all sincerity of truth say, nevertheless, your will be done. And when we do this, that's when we lead, we experience the next characteristic of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a place of strengthening. After praying and surrendering. Jesus sees his betrayer coming. He doesn't try to run away. He doesn't try to hide. He doesn't respond to Judas in anger and hatred. He doesn't defend himself at all. Instead, in verse 45, he says, Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. He just wakes them up. And he walks to meet Judas. As he's bringing the soldiers. The very wording he uses communicate calmness of spirit peace of mind and a relief of the physical and emotional strain that had been about to kill him when he arrived in the garden his father met his need in that moment and strengthened him for the work ahead it is important for us to recognize his circumstances didn't change he's still going to suffer Judas is coming to betray him and is not going to change his mind. Peter is going to deny him. The Jews are going to betray him. They're going to beat him. The Romans are going to beat him. They're going to take him out to a hill, strip him naked, nail him to a cross, and leave him to die. And as He dies naked and humiliated on that cross, as the people shout mocking things upon Him, He will drink the fierceness of God's wrath against your sin and mine. Nothing about His circumstance changed. Only His attitude changed. Only His willingness to do the will of the Father changed. Hebrews tells us, that Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand, the throne of God. The cross still hurt. The cross was still shameful. The cross was still extreme suffering, but there was still joy because he was accomplishing the Father's will. Because of him, people would be redeemed. Because of him, people would be spared the horrors of hell. Now, I can't make promises here about surrender to the Lord. I can't make promises that God isn't going to keep. So I can't promise you that praying and surrendering to the Father will cause your suffering to go away. The reality is it might not. But what I can promise you is that through prayer and through surrender, God will strengthen you and God will give you peace even as you suffer. This is what we see in the example of Jesus. This is a promise we have in Scripture. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Great promise. Prayer. The prayer He's talking about here, it's like the prayer in the garden. The prayer Paul was speaking of isn't a dear God help, dear God handle this kind of prayer. It is a praying until we pray through. Praying until the peace of God descends upon our hearts and begins to guard it. Now the word guard that Paul uses, it is a military word that carries with it the idea of our hearts being protected by a military guard to prevent a hostile invasion. The hostile invasion is anxiety, and fear, all of the things that come in our moment, in our time of suffering that would distress us, cause us to agonize more than what's going on in our suffering. When we pray and when we surrender our will to the Father's will, because we trust Him, we trust that our Father loves us. We trust His wisdom that our Father knows what's best. And we trust His power that our Father can always do what's best. Then His peace, not the world's peace, His peace, it will come down and it will guard our hearts. And it will give us peace and it will prevent the invading and hostile forces from stealing our peace. That kind of prayer, or that kind of peace, only comes through prayer and surrender to God. So our one main point today, our one main lesson, is that God gives strength and peace as we surrender to His will. This room today is filled with people who have either been to Gethsemane or are there at this moment. Sadly, visiting Gethsemane is a mandatory part of life. No one is exempt from suffering. The only difference will be what happens while we suffer. What happens when we visit our Gethsemane? Will it destroy our souls? Will it destroy our faith? Will it destroy our life? Or will we find strength and peace from God? We only find peace and strength from God. As we surrender to His will, are you able to fully and finally surrender all things, all your hopes, all your dreams? All your plans. All your life. All your family. All things. And say, Lord, this is what I think. This is what I desire. But nevertheless, Your will be done. As disciples of Jesus, We must get to the place where we surrender all things to God in this way. If you are not there, use this time that we're going to have to say, God, help me. Or maybe pray a dangerous prayer. Say, God, what is an area of my life that I have not said, nevertheless, your will be done. You show me, and I'll give it to you no matter what it is. For many in here today that are not in a Gethsemane, but your life is filled with fear and anxiety and stress and commotion and worry. Not because the world is any harder for you, Or there's things going on any worse in your life. But because you have things that you have closed your hand to God and you have said no. Not your will here. Mine. Not your will here. Mine. And your fear of losing those things, your fear of those things slipping out of your hands, it keeps you up at night. It stresses you out. It makes you afraid. And the only way to overcome that anxiety, that fear, that worry is to open your hand to God and say, nevertheless, your will be done here as well. Let's take time this morning. Let's pray.